Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 63 of the Julia LaRoche Show. Today's guest is Jonathan Boyer, president of Boyer Research and host of the World According to Boyer podcast. In this episode, Jonathan shares how he is finding value during these uncertain times. He points out that so long as you have a view that the world is not coming to an end, which he also notes has usually been a pretty bad bet, uh, there are great opportunities when you look under the hood, especially on the individual company level. In this episode, Jonathan shares some of the ideas that he's finding, names like Top Golf, MSG Sports, and even the big money center banks. Really enjoyed having Jonathan on the show, and I hope you do too. And be sure to hit that like button, subscribe to the show, and if you're listening, leave a rating and a review. Jonathan Boyer, president of Boyer Research and also host of the amazing podcast, I should add, The World According to Boyer. It is so great to see you again and to welcome you on the show. Jonathan, great to have you. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for, for inviting me on. Uh, I look forward to speaking. I do too. And um, I got to say, I was listening to some of your podcast episodes. And I remember when you launched and we were talking about um, you know, guest ideas and you have an incredible lineup. So folks who are watching and listening, do go check that out. Um, but Jonathan, let's kind of start and get an intro, um, a bit of a background on you, your firm, your investment process, your research process, some of the work that you all do. Um, at your firm? Sure. No. Uh, first, again, thank you for having me. Uh, it's a family-run firm. It, it was started in 1975. The, the firm was started by my father, Mark, who, who's still in, involved. And the what we wanted to do was really just look for intrinsically undervalued stocks. Um, and that's what we did. We, you know, it, it was a, uh, a research service that he started predicated on intrinsic or private market value not looking at what a company is going to earn next quarter or next year. And through the years, we've developed a, a good reputation in the quote unquote value investing community. And, you know, since we started in 75, you know, we grew and have a, uh, an RIA where we, we manage money. Uh, it's a different entity, Boyer Asset Management. Uh, but we, in both, we stay true to our, our value roots and our value style and just try and buy that proverbial dollar for 50 cents. When you mentioned the world of value investing, I should, um, we met at, uh, the, on the, at one of the Berkshire Hathaway, um, annual meetings. Uh, so that's where a lot of folks, when they, you hear value investing, you often think back, um, you know, to Warren Buffett and, and Charlie Munger and their investing style. Um, I want to hear a bit more about the style. Um, does yours differ in any way from like more of, you know, value is to how like, folks think about it. Um, let's dive in a bit more if you're open to it about your own style of value investing. Sure. It's, it's evolved over time. When we started the, the research in 1975, it was more of like a Ben Graham deep value approach, you know, buying mediocre businesses that were unbelievably cheap. And that was kind of the function at the time. I mean, the, at the time, you know, calculators were the big technological like advantage. They were like really expensive and you had to do everything by hand. So if you can find companies literally trading for less than the assets on its balance sheet, you know, you, you can make a lot of money. Obviously, with the advent of technology, that that's no longer the case. And over time, we've kind of done an approach where we look for value. You know, we want to pay a reasonable price, you know, preferably a great price uh, for something, but the quality is much more important 
and the fact that there has to be a catalyst is is also equally important because the one thing we've really learned and, and my father has stressed over time and we stress to the to the t uh, to the great team that we have at at Boyer is you know you can find the greatest stock in the world but if it doesn't go up in price it doesn't do you any good so you have to find a catalyst the reason for that stock to ascend in value and you know I also one thing I think it's worth noting is I really dislike the term value investing because I don't think any growth investor wants to overpay for a stock I, I think you know, value investing has a lots of different tents in there. And some of the names that we own or we write about, um, like a Watsco or an Uber um, or a PayPal might not be statistically cheap, but they have aspects to that business that we think makes them, you know, a quote unquote value. Yeah. I like that. Um, you mentioned like your, the lesson, um, from your father, um, like I, it kind of sounds like, you know, some stocks can stay, I guess, I don't know if you want to say cheap, cheap for a long, long, long time. Like you're looking for the catalyst. Um, I want to ask you this because it's, you know, you mentioned the firm started in 1975 with your father. What have been some of the important lessons that you've learned from your dad over the years, um, around investing or, um, even life, if you will. Yeah. I think, the biggest probably is patience. You know, there's a lot of people trying to do instant gratification in this in in this field, and you know, you're trying to find you know what's going to beat the quarter or you know that that type of investing, and that's really really hard. It's also not particularly tax efficient. There's lots of reasons you know why we don't do that. So, you know, be able to look at things over a longer period of time and say, what is something going to look like two, three, four years from now, I think is a, is a heck of a lot easier than, you know, what company, you know, is, is good in the short term. So that's something that he's really instilled in me and instilled in the team is to, is to, is to take that, you know, patient part of investing because, you know, the analysis part, is not, I mean, it, listen, it's hard and it, it takes work, but it's more the psychology and sticking through, um, you know, times like this. I mean, today, you know, we're, it's what, March 20th, we're recording, you know, Credit Suisse just got taken over or under, depending on how you look at it, by uh, UBS. You know, the world is kind of, financial world's in a little bit of disarray, but, you know, be able to step back and take the 20,000 foot view, I think is really helpful. You mentioned like the current events and, um, you know, the Credit Suisse being taken over by um, UBS and, um, you know, and even going back to like last week, it was Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, a, a lot of focus on First Republic as well here in the U.S. Um, let's step back and get your, let's get with you. I want to get your assessment right now. Let's do your assessment of um, the markets and also um, we can do your assessment of the economy. We can kind of separate the two. I would love to kind of, you know, hear more of the big picture views from you. Sure. No, and I'm ha happy to discuss. I mean, I think that's one of the big things is I think the big picture view obviously is important, but it's not critical to our investment. Obviously, you have to have a view that the world's not coming to an end. And usually that's been a, been a bad, bad. Um, you know, we try our best to filter out the economic noise, all of what's going on in the world as best you can. Obviously, it's impossible to fully do that and you have to be aware of what's going on, but you wanna make your decision based on each individual company. And right now, 
the S and P is trading, you know, roughly 17 times earnings or so. Uh, it's not particularly expensive. It's not particularly cheap. But if you look under the hood, there are a great many businesses that are selling significantly below our estimate of intrinsic value. And I think what investors really should stop doing is trying to fig stop figuring out what is the Fed going to do next meeting or the meeting after? Are they going to cut? Are they going to hike? What you know? What one? Those are kind of unknowables. And two, even if you have that information, I'm not sure if you know how to profit from it. But so what in Investors, I think, at least in my opinion, should be doing is trying to figure out, you know, are stocks cheap? Are, uh, is there a margin of safety? You know, what's the catalyst for a stock going up instead of just being hyper-focused on, you know, the events that are either happening in Switzerland or in Silicon Valley or, or whatnot. So I think that's one of the things that we try and do a little bit differently here at Boyer. On the, um, the Fed part of these, of uh, things, um, does... I, I'm just thinking out loud here. Do you think does it ma does it matter to value investors what the Fed does, or are Fed are value investors are they paying more attention to the Fed in more recent years? Because um, I I do remember over the years just when I would hear folks in the value space they'd say they get asked about the economy and um I'm not going to name names but some some of them would say like you know the macro doesn't really matter or um does I want to hear more on that like do you does it matter or does it not matter? Why or why not? So I, th I think of course it matters, but you know, it, it, it impacts everything, but you shouldn't let it, you know, you know, basically impact your decisions. There's been very few value investors that I know of who have been able to really meld well, the macro and the micro together. The, uh, the, the one that comes to mind or the two that comes to mind is Steve Einhorn, as well as Leon Cooperman, who, you know, were at Omega and they fantastic investors and they did a great job of kind of melting those two, but it's a really difficult um, thing. So I think, as I said, people should be aware of what's going on because it creates opportunities. And, um, but I think you should just be focusing company by company and, and, and going that way. Yeah. What do you do? What do you think of like this environment though? Like, um, like maybe let's start with like a sector even. What are your thoughts on, um, I guess, what are your thoughts on this ba banking crisis, if you will? Um, what are your thoughts there? Do you see opportunity, um, to, to play in the financials? What do you think? I definitely see opportunity. I mean, I, I wouldn't go out and look at first Republic and try and you know, bet on that. That's it. But if you look at, I think Andrew Barry, you know, Barron's had a great piece this weekend um, on the on the big banks, and he had some a lot, you know, basically making the case why the big money center banks are are cheap now. And I and I agree with him. And he couches it, and I agree that things certainly could get a lot cheaper. And so I think you should, you know, put your positions in slowly. I mean, you, you never know. You know, it's really hard to kind of predict contagion. But I think that, you know, the big mega cap names like Bank of America and, and JP Morgan should do um, quite, quite well over a two, three, four year period. And he pointed out something, you know, kind of interesting uh, in the article. Basically, what, what he was saying after the 2008, 2009 banking crisis, uh, as well as after 2020, the, you know, the KBW bank index, you know, was up about 75 percent year later. So, you know, 
you're never going to catch the bottom and investors should stop trying to, to do that. Um, but if you can buy some, you know, well-capitalized banks like a JPM or a BAC at feasible valuations, I think you'll do well. And then there's other companies that have been, you know, hit in sympathy, uh, whether it's a, a Markel, which is an insurance company run by a really smart guy uh, named, named Tom Gaynor, uh, who um, I would, uh, you know, I think is, you know, a good investor who should be able to profit from it. Um, so there's a lot, uh, Schwab, I think has gotten unfairly punished. You know, have these names bottomed? I have no idea, but you know, you're getting attractive entry points. Right. And I, like you said, like, no one knows, they, no one can like predict um, the exact bottom, but kind of going back to like your investing style of value investing and um, looking for catalysts, um, maybe the catalysts are, are obvious and my question's not a good one, but like, what for you are some of the catalysts for upside? In the banking sector or in general? Um, do banking and then in general? Um, I mean, I think more clarity on rates is a, uh, is an upside, you know, and also more clarity on government intervention and just time uh, in this, you know, right now, it's, you know, the market's being driven by fear and emotion, and that makes it a very difficult time for fundamental investors. Um, but if you're not trading in and out, that's, that's fine. And I think one of the things that's also worth mentioning that, you know, I really remember a few times where the consensus was, wow, this is a great time to invest. Everything's uh, rosy and, you know, you, you should go all in. And, you know, there's always a reason not to buy a stock, uh, particularly banks. But if you look at, you know, after 2001, after 2008, both very scary periods of time or 2011 after the sovereign banking crisis, you know, investors did quite well in banking stocks and, and otherwise. Mm -hmm. Are you buying right now? Yeah, we're, we're nibbling on things. We're not like, we're not going all in, but we have our positions already. And then we're adding to them in uh, areas in accounts that, you know, where it's appropriate. So we take an account by account, you know, um, you know, kind of mandate, but yeah, no, I think it's, it's an attractive time to be, to be buying and, you know, but I would caution to do it slowly. Um, is what I've definitely learned since doing this since uh, early 2000s is stocks can get a lot cheaper than you can ever imagine. Yeah. You mentioned too, like, um, like the fear and emotion in markets and also early in the conversation, you're mentioning like the, um, and I can look at my notes because um, I wrote down, I think you were mentioning like the uh, psychology um, of, you know, having the psychology to stick through like the tougher times like we're going through now. How, like, how do you do that? Like, how do you separate the fear and the emotion? Is it something you can like learn over time how to do? You know, Warren yeah. Buffett often has that maxim, be greedy <laughs> when others are fearful. Um, yeah, that kind of thing may be easier said than done. Much easier said than done. I mean, I think I'm a contrarian by nature. You just asked my wife. Uh, I, uh, I just, you know, I try and, um, you know, go against the grain. Um, but it's a dip, you know, it's not easy. But it, I've learned over time that in the general, if you're able to withstand the pain and you know what you're buying and you know the valuations of what you're buying, in the end, you'll be rewarded. Not every time, obviously. But, you know, I see no reason for a process that's worked so well for so long, won't continue to work well. Um, and, you know, you just have to um, 
if you have confidence in, in your analysis, you, you should be fine, but you should also be humble enough to figure out, you know, maybe you're wrong on something and not just be, you know, okay, banks are cheap, you know, we, we should own them. You should also figure out, you know, where could you be wrong and, and always challenge your, you know, your thinking. Yeah. Like, um, like how reminds me of like Charlie Munger, Munger too, like, you know, putting yourself on the grills too and challenging, um, you know, your own, your own thinking, as you point out there, um, you put out in January you had your annual letter, um, kind of like framing up, um, what we saw transpire in 2022, which was just painful for pretty much everyone and kind of your outlook for 2023. Um, has your outlook changed at all lately or what is kind of your outlook today? Cloudy. Um, my outlook is definitely cloudy. I, I don't, I say my outlook for two or three years from now, I'm, you know, pretty confident what, what's going to happen over the next six months is a lot of unknowns, obviously Ukraine banking crisis, uh, tensions with China. There's lots of things that could go right or wrong that we have to, be paying attention to. Then you also have, you know, an election coming up next year. There's lo lots of, uh, of different things that, you know, could go right, right or wrong, but think over the next couple of years, you know, stock will, will the market do well? I, I have no clue, but I do know that, you know, individual stocks, especially in the micro, small and mid cap area, to me, those are the cheapest areas of the market and have the most opportunity. I think they'll do do quite well. So while the, you know, the letter does focus on the macro a lot, I, I find it interesting. I try not to let it kind of cloud my, um, my investment thinking. So I've had this conversation on, on the show a few times. A lot of folks are kind of like, kind of gearing up for like this return to uh, where like the fundamentals matter and stock picking and kind of the art of stock picking, if you will. Um, do you think we're there yet? Or is that going to start to happen where we get back to just stock picking? I hope so. I, I don't know. Uh, that's, I guess that's the answer to that question. I, I have no, uh, I, I had no idea. I, I think it's a lot of people, you know, especially who are fund managers go and say, this is going to be a stock pickers market. Um, that's a little bit self-serving in, in my view, but I do think that, um, you know, it's 17 times earnings. The index indices aren't particularly cheap. Um, so if you're going to do well, I think you're going to have to go outside of outside of the mainstream and you, you should do well. And there are a whole host of names from a company called Topgolf that I find particularly interesting. Madison Square Garden Sports, the big banks that I think, you know, investors should um, should should consider. You just mentioned a couple of names. Um top golf being, uh, one of them. Um, I would like, let's talk about some ideas, um, sure. and how you find ideas in these environments. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have a, a research service Boyer research that that's our, our job is to, is to come up with ideas during all environments, uh, to come up with, um, you know, for our clients. I mean, that's, that's, that's what we're paid for. And, I think that really helps our money management business because it, it keeps us fresh and, and focused on new ideas. And um, it's just reading I and mean, there's no systematic way of, of doing it. It's just, you know, following these companies, getting to know them and, you know, being curious and 
something like uh, Top Golf, which um, used to be called Callaway. It's Top Golf Callaway Brands. Uh, and I had the CEO Chip Brewer on my podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago. A uh, really interesting guy. Um, right now, it's being valued like a golf equipment maker. Uh, you know, the legacy Callaway. But 50% of their EBITDA next year is going to be from Top Golf. So there's the catalyst there of, of an eventual re-rating of the stock. Um, the stock has been hit hard over the last you know, week or two, you know, for two reasons, one of which I think is pretty silly. Um, one, uh, just small caps have, have not done well. Um, this has been a kind of a risk-off trade. But the, the second reason um, for it is the PGA or the governing body, you know, is thinking in 2026 that they're going to have different golf balls for pros and for amateurs, and that's going to hurt golf ball sales, which I, I think is a really dumb reason for a stock to go down like three or four points. But um, that's Wall Street for you. Um, but you know, Top Golf has a lot of competitive advantages. It's well funded. They did a, you know, they're opportunistic. Um, there's huge areas of growth and there's, you know, a lot to like about it. So we look kind of outside the mainstream for, for ideas for our clients. I'm actually not that familiar with top golf. That's not the same as like those, those entertainment golf venues, right? It's not the same. No, that is, it's, it's basically like kind of a nightclub meets bowling like my husband, alley. my husband likes to go to that thing when the, just the driving range. Yes. Thing. That's the same company. That's the same company. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. That, that's a kind of embarrassing. I don't play golf, but um, no. okay. I got it. I get it. I see like it's very popular. And 50% of the people who go there are not golfers. So it's actually yeah. a huge funnel to get people into the game. So, and they've said that I think 75% of the people after going to a top golf are positively predisposed to picking up golf. So it's, uh, and they have, it's, if you go to one, they it's branded Callaway really well. So it's, um, you know, it's a great, you know, funnel for them, as I said. And, um, you know, they also have something called top tracer, which if you wa ever watch golf on TV, it, it shows, you know, how far the balls go and, and the, you know, the angles and they're putting them in various driving ranges throughout the country and getting licensing fees per, per golf bay. You know, there's, it's a growth stock at a value price. Interesting. Okay. A growth stock at a value price. Um, what else um, in, in the world of value investing is catching your attention these days? It's interesting. Um, as I said, the, the major money center banks, I think are, are interesting if, for those who are, who are brave, but I, I would caution to, to be slow um, when, when doing that. Uh, in the media, in the media, you know, I think Warner Brothers Discovery, David Zaslav uh, has done a fantastic job. Uh, or is you know doing a fantastic job of delevering. Uh, they have great content, great IP. You know, there's a big runway for growth. Um, you know, that's that's a name that 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 we like a lot. And then in kind of the special situation bucket, a uh, Madison Square Garden Sports has an enterprise value of 5.5 billion dollars. You know, the Knicks alone, I think, are worth six billion. Um, so you're getting the the Rangers for free. Um, so it's, you know, it's a no brainer in, in our opinion, but you have to be able to, you know, sit through the pain that is the, that is the Dolan family. Yeah. Well, by the way, I don't know if you're a Rangers fan. Um, we're, we're Rangers fans in this household. That game last night was 
filed seven to zero total shutouts. So just give a little plug for the New York Rangers here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I've never seen a hockey game like with that kind of score. It was incredible. Um, I want to hear more about the MSG though, play. Cause I'm frankly, I know there's like a story at play here. I'm not super familiar with it. Can you walk me through like the thesis a bit more and the catalyst? Sure. So right now for $5.5 billion roughly or so, you can buy the New York Knicks and the New York Rangers. Um, Forbes value for the, the Knicks is $6 billion and change. Forbes value for the Rangers is two and change. Transactions in these spaces traditionally have been at significant premiums to what the Forbes value are. Um, the family, the the Dolan family controls Madison Square Garden sports and Ranger and Nick fans do not like them uh, as do a lot of people in New York City. But over the long run, they've been good for for shareholders. And I, you know, if you've been paying attention to what's going on in Europe, especially they're selling stakes or full teams uh, like soccer teams. Um, and, you know, you've seen, you know, the Phoenix Suns were just sold, et cetera. So there's a real market out there. Private equity and sovereign wealth funds are allowed to buy pieces or entire teams. So I think what's probably going to happen and what's the catalyst is going to be is a private equity firm and Silver Lake owns 10% of the public equity um, of it will buy a stake in the team at a value that's significantly higher than the current share price. And that will help you know, cement a value for what the Knicks or the Rangers are, are, are truly are truly worth so the um that's something that i would um i think is particularly interesting um you just have to be able to deal with the, the dolans and you have to deal with you know a lot of kind of uncertainty there but for long-term patient investors it should do quite well and it's interesting if you look at the shareholder base of madison square garden uh sports you know kkr owns a decent amount the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation owns a decent amount. The wealthiest uh, Egyptian, you know, owns a decent amount. He's an Egyptian billionaire who owns other sports teams. So there's a lot of very long-term patient investors in there. What's the story with Dolan, um, James Dolan? I, yeah. what's, what's the story for like the person who doesn't know? Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a it's sort of a New York thing, but it's more than that at this point. The Dolan family is one of the wealthiest families in in New York. They, uh, Charles Dolan, the father, started a company called Cablevision um, and also was one of the founders of HBO as well. In, um, I think, early 1990s, they bought Madison Square Garden, which included the Knicks, the Rangers, the building itself, um, for a few hundred million dollars. So, like, great, great buy. Uh, they eventually sold, they eventually spun out Cablevision. Uh, I'm sorry, they eventually spun out Madison Square Garden uh, and Madison Square Garden Entertainment, Madison Square Garden Sports from, from Cablevision and sold Cablevision. So now it's, it's a complicated like corporate action story, but essentially sports fans, uh, New York sports fans do not like him because they think he's a bad owner. Wall Street analysts do not like him because they think he's a bad owner. Um, but over time, you know, we found that he's done the right thing for, for teams. And if you, you might've been seeing some of the stories in New York about the facial recognition stuff going into Madison Square Garden, uh, where he's actually not letting lawyers uh, who are suing him, like entire law firms go into the building 
using facial recognition um, software. It's, it's created a big you know, field day for the New York Post and some other like local tabloid. So it's, it's a very strange situation, but you know, from these crazy situation, we think there's, there's opportunity for profits. But Got yeah, it. no, he's, he's certainly someone people don't love to invest alongside of, but we, you know, we had success, you know, with Cablevision, he sold it at the right time. And we think he'll sell all or part of the, the Knicks and or the Rangers at the right time as well. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned um, MSG, um, mentioned like the big banks being interesting for those who are, who are brave. Um, what else is on the radar? Uh, we have the Top Golf. Uh, I think mm-hmm. you know in the media space, Comcast and Warner Brothers Discovery are interesting. So you know, there's lots of through the market cap spectrum. You know, we you know we look at micro caps, we look at mega caps, uh, and everything kind of in between. Uh, we um, are you know we're finding value. It's not just simply buying the the market at at this point. Got it. Not simply buying the market, um, but finding value. Um, you put out a list your um, firm does called the Forgotten Forty. Can you explain like what this is? And uh, and I don't know if you want to give us a peek as to what's on the list, but I'd love to hear a bit about like what the Forgotten Forty is. Um, a bit of context about it as well. Sure. So we have this research service that's you know we we have for you know institutional and high net worth in- individuals, and uh, we come up with a certain amount of ideas a year, and they're normally you know, two to three year time horizon stories. But every December, uh, our team, you know, gets together and puts together something called the Forgotten 40, which we, you know, it's our Christmas gift to subscribers and, you know, people buy it on an a la carte basis as well. Um, And it's our 40 best ideas for the year ahead that have, they're not our cheapest names, but they're names we know well that have, um, that have catalysts uh, one year or less you know, could they spin out a division? Could they, um, could they be sold? You know, one, one example uh, that we had on this, on this, this year's list was a company called Univar, which is a chemical company that we thought could be sold. Um, and it was announced early last week that Apollo will be buying them. So that was a good win for us, which we're, we were super excited about, which was great. So we, you know, it's just, these are just one page snapshots and, and people really like it because it's quick, to the point and um, that they enjoy reading it. And it's just kind of a good reference guide. Yeah. Um, and I mean, what are, can you give us a hint on some names that are on the list? Well, some of the, you know, Callaway got a modern golf or top golf Callaway brand was okay. on, was on the list. Um, I think, you know, pretty sure bank of America was on, on the list. Uh, uh, Warner brothers discovery, you know, those were all names that were, we're on it. You know, those are our favorite ideas uh, or some of our favorite ideas at the moment. So that's, you know, not surprising that they would be on the list. And, you know, that we have names that are a couple hundred billion dollars and I mean, a couple billion dollars and a couple hundred billion dollars. So it's, um, we don't have any micro caps on, on the list, but um, that's kind of a separate thing that we do. You mentioned, um, and probably everyone's like in this situation because no, no one knows what the future holds, but like also just kind of how things right now, um, when it comes to like your assessment of markets, the economy, like things are cloudy. Um, you used to wear cloudy. What, what would help give you more clarity um, looking forward? What would be some of those, I guess, catalysts, if you will, that would help you get more clarity on the markets? 
I don't, I don't think you'll ever get, and I think it's a fantastic question. I don't, I don't think you'll ever get total clarity because something else is going to pop, pop up, you know, uh, you know, obviously there's tragedy what's happening in Ukraine, you know, hopefully that, you know, we get, hopefully that ends in a peaceful, good way for, for the people of, of, of Ukraine. Um, but, you know, there's going to, this economic situation with interest rates, et cetera, is going to be around for a long period of time. I think you just need some stability and, in stock price movements and, you know, not have huge gyrations every day and have two Sunday nights in a row where, you know, the, either the Fed or, or the Swiss central bank is, is orchestrating, you know, major policy shifts. So, you, I mean, I think you just need some stability um, there, but, you know, I would be, you know, investing slowly along the way. As I said earlier, you're never going to get the high. You hopefully, uh, I mean, you're never going to low, um, but you just, you know, you dollar cost average in there and you should be fine over time. Is there anything that we haven't brought up? I'm sure there's a lot of things, but in this episode that you've been thinking about lately or you're, um, you know, you, you want to discuss things that I haven't asked you yet. Um, no, I, I think you, you, you've, you've, you've covered, uh, you've covered, you've covered a lot. I mean, we talked about, you know, stocks that we like, and, you know, I, I do think that, you know, a lot of them can get cheaper, but you know there, there's a lot of good entry points. I, I, I think I want to stress that you know catalysts or, or have been and will continue to be extremely important to us. And to take that long-term view is is really important. Um, I think people are just so obsessed with trying to figure out you know what's going to happen at the next Fed meeting or two Fed meetings from now, and are not looking at you know the big picture. You know. What do these companies look like, and can you find a company that has a good balance sheet so they can survive this, you know, difficult time uh, that are selling at reasonable valuations that have catalysts for capital appreciation? So that's kind of what investors should be doing. Yeah, I'm just thinking of things like that I've left off. I guess, um, you know, on this notion of like the big banks being a like a value play, what do you think about? the future of, I don't know if you have thoughts here on the future of like the regional banks in our country. Yeah, no, that's really interesting because they, they play a vital role because you know, there are certain things that JP Morgan and BAC won't do for, for clients or, you know, risks that they won't take. So we need to figure out a way to make them survive because I don't think it's in anyone's interest to have four or five big banks and no really regional banks there. So I think, I don't know what the solution is. I don't know if it's, you know, having uninsured deposits, you know, uh, you know unlimited insurance for, for, for deposits or, or, or what it is, but something needs to be done to make it, you know, make it so it's a no brainer for people to put money to regional banks. Because at, at this point in time, when everyone's scared, and, um, you know, they'll put money into BAC or, or JP Morgan because they think that's you know, the safest place to be. And that's not a situation. You don't want people to have to think about the safety of, of, of their money. That's, that's just not a, a good thing um, for anyone. So I would say that's something that they need to uh, really, um, really focus on and make sure that they don't regulate them to death. Yeah. I do wonder as like a Buffett watcher, if we'll hear from him soon. Yeah, that's something that's really interesting. You haven't heard from him. You haven't heard from Jamie Dimon. You haven't heard from Brian Moynihan. You know, um, all three people I loved whose opinion I would love to hear right now about what's going on. And they've been very quiet. And uh, 
none of them are, are shy about going on TV. So there, there must be a, a reason for it. Um, and does Buffett do something? Does he, you know, he was obviously very active in 2008, 2009, and then in 2011 with Bank of America. Um, he's now 90 something years old, um, but he's still, um, you know, there, there were reports that he was speaking with Biden administration who, who knows, uh, I don't know if that's just the press being the press or if that's actually, you know, true. Um, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see over the next couple of weeks what these what these people do. Yeah, and those investments he made during the financial crisis and the, um, the, the firms, the stocks that you just outlined, he ended up uh, making billions from those investments too. Um, I remember writing that like when, when I, like when that, I guess when he was finally out of all of those. Um, yeah, it'll be certainly very interesting. Um, do you want to let folks know where they can find you, follow you on social media, listen to your podcast? And also, again, if you have any sort of parting thoughts for the folks watching and listening. Sure. Um, I mean, if you go to boyervaluegroup.com or follow us at Boyer Value and you can listen to the, the there, you'll be able to find our, our podcast. And um, it was a pleasure being being on your podcast. And I look forward to listening to you know your next one. Yeah. Well, Jonathan Boyer, president of Boyer Research and host of The World According to Boyer. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your ideas. Thanks again, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. I really hope you enjoyed that video. Be sure to hit that like button, the subscribe and that bell so you won't miss any new videos.